الجزيرة بودكاست When the U.S. Secretary of State visits the Middle East, the cornerstone of the trip is almost always a meeting with the Israeli Prime Minister. This time, Secretary Anthony Blinken landed during the deadliest month for Palestinians in the occupied West Bank in years. The Thursday before he arrived, Israeli forces killed nine Palestinians in a raid on Janine refugee camp. They are buried next to dozens of other Palestinians who died over the past year in Israeli incursions into the Janine refugee camp. The very next day, a Palestinian gunman killed seven in occupied East Jerusalem. Friday's mass shooting outside an East Jerusalem synagogue, the deadliest attack on Israelis in nearly 15 years. This is all happening as Benjamin Netanyahu comes back to power. He took back the prime minister's office at the end of December. So the background is familiar for Palestinians. I still can't believe that here we are in 2023 and still talking about the denial of freedom. It's shocking to me that in this day and age, this is still being allowed to happen. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. We're often asked the question, why the uptick? But in asking that question, why the uptick, it's ignoring the daily violence that we live under, the daily, daily violence, what it means to live under military occupation. Earlier this week, I talked with Diana Butu, a Haifa-based human rights lawyer and analyst. Diana, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is carrying out a visit to the Middle East as we speak. And he has said a few times that he is urging, quote, everyone to take steps to calm tensions rather than inflame them. For the last year, though, Israel has been conducting raids in the occupied West Bank more and more often. Can you walk us through what's actually been happening? Well, I think what people don't fully understand is that to maintain occupation requires violence. The occupation is violent. What do I mean by violence? To steal land requires violence. To build a settlement requires violence. To demolish a Palestinian home is violent and requires violence. And what people tend to ignore is that this has been something that Palestinians have lived with now for 55 years. And so the focus tends to be only on the number of Palestinians killed, but it ignores the daily violence that Palestinians live under. And we live under violence and insecurity, not knowing whether tomorrow we're going to be alive, but definitely knowing that tomorrow is going to be worse than today. So by Blinken saying he wants everyone to calm tensions, it means, in effect, going back to the status quo of the everyday insecurity and the everyday violence that Palestinians are living under. He just wants to make sure that Israel is able to maintain a quiet occupation so that Palestinians live quietly. 
as their land is taken, as their homes are demolished, as their children are killed, he wants that all done quietly so that it doesn't require any attention on the part of the Biden administration. They just want to be able to do nothing. And yet we know there has not been quiet in Janine. Not at all. There was a particularly deadly Israeli raid last week in Janine refugee camp. Israeli forces killed nine Palestinians in the biggest raid in the camp in two decades. What do we know about what happened? Israel has been deliberately going into Janine and going in deeper and deeper and deeper into the refugee camp. And it's doing so with bulldozers, with tanks, with the deliberate intent to kill. And this has been going on now for for quite some time, for a little bit over a year. The rubble of this house and its charred walls bearing witness to what's become a near daily nightmare for Palestinians in Janine. Israeli media says these raids have been conducted as part of Operation Break the Wave, which started in response to a series of attacks that killed 19 people inside Israel. The Israeli government says the raids are a necessity to search for suspects. An Israeli army statement says its forces conducted a counter-terrorism operation in the center of the Janine camp to apprehend, quote, a terror squad belonging to Islamic Jihad organization. So the day after the raid came another attack. Israeli authorities say a gunman has killed at least seven people near a synagogue in East Jerusalem. Several others were injured. Police say responding officers killed the suspect. This is the deadliest attack on Israelis in years. Can you tell me about the area where this attack occurred? The area was in an illegal Israeli settlement called Neve Yaakov, a settlement that is inside Jerusalem, what Israel calls Greater Jerusalem. It's built on Palestinian land that was taken by its owners in the neighboring areas of Beit Hanina. The attack was the worst act of violence for Israelis in years. Prime Minister Netanyahu had this to say. Our response will be strong, swift, and precise. Whoever tries to harm us, we will harm them and everyone who assists them. So, Deanna, we've seen a flurry of measures from the government of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and that includes some punitive measures. For example, the Israeli government plans to demolish the home of the attacker, He's also mentioned expediting gun licenses for Israeli citizens. How much of a departure is this from current policy? Because some of this was already happening, right? Yes, there's also another thing that he's announced. He wants to take away permanent residency of the families of individuals. So just so that people understand, Palestinians who live in Jerusalem are not Israeli citizens. They got the same status as somebody who would have immigrated to another country, but Israel came to them, they didn't come to Israel. And what Israel is now trying to do is, it's already for a number of years been taking away the permanent residency of Palestinians who the Israelis claim are involved in attacks. Sometimes they take it away for people who aren't, by the way. But now what they intend to do is widen it and take it away not just from the individual, but from families as well. 
collective punishment. And then there are the guns. Israel's security cabinet announced it would expand and expedite weapons permits for thousands of Israeli civilians, especially for people who work as volunteers in trained emergency response units. Here's National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir in the wake of the attack. I want weapons on the street. I want Israeli citizens to be able to protect themselves. I live here and I can tell you, I've never seen so many guns as I have in Israel. It is commonplace to see people carrying guns as they're on buses, on trains, um, as they go to the gym, as they go for a walk on the beach. They are armed to the teeth. You'll see them in grocery stores, at the mall. You name it, you always see guns. And how is the Palestinian Authority reacting to all of this, from the punitive measures to the number of raids? The Palestinian Authority lost its legitimacy in the eyes of Palestinians many, many, many moons ago. This was a government that was elected in 2005 for a four-year term. That brings it up to 2009. We're now in 2023. The only measure that they announced was that they were going to cut off security collaboration with Israel. What that means is that they weren't going to arrest Palestinians that Israel asks them to arrest. And by the way, Israel doesn't need the Palestinian Authority to do that arresting. They do it routinely as an everyday practice. So the the government has lost its legitimacy a long time ago, and they're effectively doing nothing for Palestinians. After the break why the new Israeli government could mean an even more bleak outlook for Palestinians. On this week's episode of Essential Middle East, Israeli punitive measures and the growing fears of a widening confrontation in the occupied territories. During U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's trip to the Middle East, he met with the governments of Israel and Egypt, as well as the Palestinian Authority. It was the first time he's visited Israel since a new far-right coalition took power, which has a lot of Palestinians and Israelis concerned. We've seen that just in the month of January alone, that Israel has killed 35 Palestinians. And I want to contrast that with 2022. 2022 was the deadliest year for Palestinians in the West Bank since 2005. Wow. Yeah. And that was under what was called a center-left government. We're now under a right-wing government, and we're already on par to surpass that number just in the month of January. I do want to mention a couple of the individuals in the government. One is a man named Itamar Benigvir. He's the National Security Minister. You've heard from him already. He's the head of what's called the Jewish Power Party. This is a man who, throughout his election campaign, kept talking about showing Palestinians who the masters of the house are. Now, when you have a master, I believe you also have a slave. And that's exactly what his mindset is. The other person I want to draw your attention to is a man named Smotrich, who is the Minister of Finance, and he's also in charge of construction of settlements, to put it mildly. He's a man who who has started NGOs 
that go after Palestinian towns and seek their demolition. And he has also come out and said two very interesting statements. One is that he called himself a fascist homophobe. These are his words, not mine. The minister's other statement had to do with the expulsion of Palestinians in 1948 from what became the modern state of Israel. Palestinians refer to it as the Nakba, or the catastrophe. Here's what Smotrich had to say, referencing David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of the state of Israel. I do not talk to you anti-Zionist, terrorist supporters, enemies. You are here by accident because Ben-Gurion did not finish the job and did not throw you out in 48. That's the truth. In other words, that we should be ethnically cleansed. So this is what this government looks like. Given this background, all eyes were on Blinken to see what he'd say following his meeting with Netanyahu. It's important that the government and people of Israel know America's commitment to their security remains ironclad. That commitment is backed up by nearly 75 years of United States support. America's commitment has never wavered. It never will. So what are you to make of those comments when you know that the Biden administration has also expressed concern over this far-right coalition? How do you reconcile that? These are phrases that they have been practicing. You know, you can imagine, they're probably standing in front of mirrors and, and rehearsing these over and over again. The Palestinians and Israelis enjoying equal measures of freedom, security, opportunity, justice, and dignity. President Biden remains fully committed to that goal. We continue to believe that the best way to achieve it is through preserving and then realizing the vision of two states. What does that mean for a person who's been living in a refugee camp for 75 years and who just had that refugee camp raided? How do you even have the gumption to come and say equal measures of security and freedom and dignity when one side has been doing the occupying and is backed by superpowers around the world and the other side is stateless, living in refugee camps and is living under military occupation. There's one thing Blinken did say during his press conference with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas that Diana agrees with. What we're seeing now for Palestinians is a shrinking horizon of hope, not an expanding one. And that, too, we believe, needs to change. The only honest thing that Blinken said in his visit was that the prospects for Palestinians are growing dim. That was the only honest thing that he said, because he's right. We do know that tomorrow is worse than today. That for sure we know. Thanks to America. When we talk about these problematic politicians who are currently in the governing coalition. Does it feel any different than the previous hardline politicians from the past? Does this feel like we've turned a new corner? Yes. So they weren't, in a sense, qualitatively different. Quite the opposite. They're the ones who've paved the way for this. The only difference now is that this is the whole government 
And for me, it feels qualitatively different because I look around now. And I'll be honest, the day after the Israeli election, when the results come out, you can go onto the websites and with a great deal of granularity, actually, you can find out who within your neighborhood voted for which party based on the polling station, not the individual, but you can see who voted for whom. And I live in an area in Haifa. Haifa is a mixed city, which is to say there's both Palestinians and Israelis here, but that's where the mixing ends. But I don't just live in Haifa, I live in a Palestinian area inside Haifa. There are some Jewish Israelis who live in my neighborhood, but it's a predominantly Palestinian area. And the day after the election, I found myself looking through these websites to see who had voted for whom and was shocked to see that my own neighbors in my own community had voted for people like Smotrich and Ben Gvir. You're looking to your left and you're looking to your right and you're wondering who it is of your neighbors who voted for the party that wants to ethnically cleanse you. So where does this where does this leave Palestinians? Are there avenues for justice, for accountability? I think the we're trying. We're trying to hold Israel accountable. We're trying to push through the boycott divestment sanctions movement. We try to push to hold Israel to account through the International Criminal Court. We've been trying to push them to be held accountable internationally through the International Court of Justice, through our efforts diplomatically. And we have to continue to resist. That's it. And because the alternative is that they perpetrate another Nakba. So we will continue to resist in different ways and in different forms, and it's absolutely our right. And not only our right, but we must, we must, to stay alive. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai, with Miranda Lynn, Chloe K. Lee, Ashish Malhotra, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Andy Greiner and Adam Abugad are The Take's engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is our executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back on Monday.